0: these stories for several years. And when you get outside the U.S., you see what God's doing and it just gives you a brand new perspective.
1: So I encourage you to support each other when you hear that people want to go on a missions trip. When your pastor is traveling on a trip, this is one of the best investments you can do for your pastor is help get him on missions trips and places like Israel. Uh, It changes your perspective, which changes the way you look at people and it changes just everything about you And I bet you've even noticed some change since he went to Israel the first time. So, invest. All right. Next slide. And then, I think it's learn. We talk about this briefly, but if you want to know more, talk to us afterwards. Uh, You have, there is no excuse for the Western world to not be aware of what is happening in missions. All it takes is a click on your computer board or your phone, your smartphone.
0: What I say is this. Instead of complaining about the news, we need to pray the news. But the only way you can pray is when you, is if you know what's really going on. Did you know in China, where in the very place that the coronavirus started, I've read an article about pastors and what they're doing to minister in that area. And so when I hear the news, I pray. North Korea, there's still two hundred to 400,000 Christians in that country. So when I hear the news, I pray, and I can pray that way because I've taken the time to learn something of what ha- what's happening.
1: The church is alive and well all over the earth. We are not alone. I mean, there are people who are, who are sharing the gospel in places where it's illegal. The persecuted church, VOM, Voice of the Martyrs, I get it in my inbox every week, and I pray for those very real people who are really being put in jail, who are really being torn away from their families, simply because they own a Bible or they have said the name of Jesus. So we have to do our part by praying for the persecuted church. That's one way. There's another Joshua Project. is a great place for statistics. If you want to pray for a country and you want to know, like, how many Christians are there, what other religions are there, and many other facts, that's a great place to go. And one of our favorites that Mike found, I don't know if it was by accident. It's called
0: prayercast.com. They have uh, short videos, like a three-minute prayer video for every country in the world. Someone from that country is praying, is praying in English, and you see videos of what's happening in that country at the same time. It helps you to visualize how to pray
1: and they give you prayer points on that video of how to pray for that country so those are just a few i'm telling you there's all kinds of information out there learn about your open bible missionaries we have some new ones on the fields around the world who have small children so even your children's ministry could raise money and do something for the children there's so many ways to be involved in missions okay if we're all doing our part we have healthy missionaries on the field and they don't have to come back because they've run out of money or or they're exhausted and, and stressed out. Pray for encouragement. Pray for missionaries to be able to learn to cur- encourage themselves and to be encouraged by others. So there's so many ways to be involved. We all can do our part. All right? Thanks. All right.
0: I'd like Pastor Jonathan to come up. Come right on up here. So... There's a heritage in our family of, um, of ministry. My grandfather was the first pastor, first Christian on my side of the family. So your pastor, Pastor Jonathan, is fourth generation pastor. My father was, and myself, we were also involved in different levels of leadership in open Bible churches. And my, my father was uh, on the national board and several other positions. And I don't know, you may not even know this, but, um, but your pastor, in addition to pastoring this church, is, is in leadership with Open Bible here in Nebraska and in this region, but also nationally, he's on the national board for Open Bible uh, Churches. And I wanted to make a presentation because um, when I was with my father... He wanted to give something to Jonathan because when he first went on to the National Board of Open Bible Churches, there was something that was given to him, and he wanted to pass this along. And so, this is hand carved from Israel, olive wood, and it's a carving of washing the feet. Which is a servant leadership thing. And your grandfather wanted you to have this since you're serving pastors and churches in Open Bible. And I think with the fact that it's from Israel, it has special meaning also for you. So could we just take a minute and just pray for him in this role that he has? You know, he needs prayer for leading this church, but as he's leading other pastors and churches, it's a big deal and others in open bible have recognized some of the gifting in him and so let's just take a minute and pray father we just thank you for jonathan thank you for what you are raising up in him and what you are allowing him to do and to be lord i pray that you'll cause wisdom beyond his years i pray you'll cause him to know what to say and what to do and lord i pray you will use him to advance your kingdom in mighty ways and, Lord, I want to thank you for the generosity of this church, allowing him to touch other churches also. And it's because of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Put your hands together. Okay. Now, let's Mark 6. So I get to pick up in this series. Let's go to, Mark, let's go to the, the sermon notes. Uh, you know, we were just in Israel and we were just in Kenya, excuse me. And I got to tell you this about going to Kenya. Uh, From Trinidad, we had four flights, almost uh, 24, 25 hours, uh, four flight segments and our longest flight was 13 and a half hours going, coming back our longest flight was 16 hours. And so when we finally got to where we were going, Our last flight, it was into Kisumu in western Kenya. But we had a two hour drive to go to Bungoma, where we were going to work with churches and pastors and leaders there. And we load all the luggage up in this uh, little van. The pastor brought three kids with him. And we loaded all the luggage up. And when we're gone, we're gone for three months right now three months, uh, Africa, the States, six weeks in Florida. Uh, different temperatures, so we have a lot of luggage. We loaded it all in, and he turned to me, and he, he said, here are the keys, why don't you drive? Now, I've been driving for a long time, and I'm a good driver. I, I even know how to drive on the other side of the road, and I had no issue with the type of vehicle, because I know how to drive that type of vehicle. That's not an issue, but I had never driven in Kenya. And he just said, you drive. You drive. I, when I have thought about this in relationship to Mark 6, I need to apologize because I think there's some things that we as churches and pastors have inadvertently gotten wrong. There's nothing that we have taught wrong, but somehow it has just become implied in the church. And... I've been in church since I was two weeks old, so I've been around a lot of Christians, so I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I don't even know where it started, but for some reason, we believe that the place that God works is inside a building for two hours on Sunday morning, and the ministry happens from somebody who's a professional up front. And it was never intended to be like that. In fact, if you look at the ministry of Jesus in the early church, it almost all happened outside of a building, but we've turned it around where almost everything happens inside a building. And 2,000 years ago, everyone was involved in ministry, and now most Christians are spectators. And I think God wants to turn this around. You see, we want our cities and our nation transformed, but for it to be transformed, we have to get outside the walls. So, what I want to share with you from Mark 6 really has to do with this. Because the truth is that God never sleeps. So what is he doing the other 166 hours a week? He's working all the time. He is working in Carney right now while you were in church. He is working all week long. What is he doing? I think all we really have to do is just partner with him. And I'll tell you what I really think when it comes to reaching this area of central Nebraska. I think God is really saying, you drive. You drive. And you're saying, what? (laughs) What? I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not Todd Becker. I'm not, I'm just me. And he turns and says, you drive. You drive. Now, It's not possible to go through this entire chapter because your pastor gave me a very long chapter, lots of verses. So I would like to read just parts of it. But let's begin in the the seventh verse of Mark 6. And I'm reading in the New International Version. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt, and whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they went out and preached. That people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So I want you to know, let's see what I have up here. Go to the next slide. No, go back. Uh, (laughs) I'm not there yet. (laughs) Uh, I, I want you to know that God is in charge, but you're authorized. That's really what is happening here. Jesus is going to many different places, many villages. And he's really saying, you know, there's so many villages. I'm gonna send you guys out two by two into these villages and I want you to do what I've been doing. That's exactly what he's telling him. I want you to do what I've been doing. Now I can tell you, you wouldn't have chosen any of these 12 disciples They are not the most likely to end up in the ministry. In fact, you would probably say they're most likely to fail. And they sort of did. They all deserted Jesus. But he was really saying, anybody can do what I'm doing. That's why I can pick even people you wouldn't pick and I can still work through them because he wanted us to see that it's not who the person is, but it's who has authorized them to accomplish what's being done. In Trinidad, we have something which is called traffic wardens. Now, traffic wardens, they're they're police officers, but all they deal with is traffic. They do not have a gun. It's the craziest thing you have seen because they will pull cars over, trucks over with a clipboard. I watch this. And I'm going, "Are you serious? All you have is a clipboard and you're pulling cars over? It's not because of the clipboard, it's because of the authority that has been given to them. That authority has such power that these big trucks see this little lady with a clipboard and said, "Okay, I'll pull over." And Jesus did the same thing with these disciples. He didn't say, "I'm giving you a clipboard. He says, "I'm giving you authority." I want you to go where I go and part of what this really was he was saying I want you to go everywhere and one of the things he said because this is in more than one gospel he really says I want you to find the hearts that are open you would have no difficulty telling me about somebody in Carney that isn't open to Jesus you could tell me names He did not tell them to identify those who were not open. He said to identify those that are open. In fact, Luke describes it this way. In Luke, he says, find the man of peace. Find the man of peace, find the one whose heart is open. When you find that one, then you stay there in their house. So in this, in Mark, he's really saying when you go into that house, stay there. This becomes the place, a heart is opened and respond and that's really what he's looking for Um, in Trinidad they like mangoes too much and so in Trinidad this is what we say to them if you're going to pick a mango and it's not ripe you're pulling the whole branch but if a mango is ripe you just touch it and it falls into your hand and Jesus was teaching them listen you have the authority now just find the right ones to talk to my wife says, open a conversation. Jesus says, find the man of peace. Jesus is saying, find the one who will just receive you. And then the ministry just flows. Pam, could you come tell the story? Do you, do you have the mic? Tell a story uh, about our experience with a taxi driver.
1: What I love about some of these stories I'm sharing this you, morning you is they, go happen- to that next slide. they happened is. in the United States of America. So sometimes when you hear missionaries talk, you think, oh, that's nice for you. You live in another country, and that's about them. This happened in the U.S. This is the nicest taxi I have ever ridden in in my life. We uh, had, a, had a trip. We were in New Jersey. We were staying in a hotel, and um, it was an unexpected uh, trip, but we were, um, well, we were 30 minutes from the hotel that we were staying in. And it cost us to get to the hotel 60 US dollars one way. Okay, I'm just saying, that's a lot of money. At least for me it is. Uh, So uh, we get there and we stayed a couple days and uh, uh, we were able to fly out of New Jersey and my husband says to the hotel, do you have a taxi driver that you use? Now I think what he was really trying to find out, is there anybody who can take us to the airport for less than 60 US dollars? So anyway, they said, sure. So when uh, this guy pulls up in this car, and I mean, I felt like, you know, I was a celebrity. And uh, it was really cool. So we get in. Now, we talk about opening up conversations with people. One of the things my husband loves to do, one of his questions is, tell me where your accent is from. This is such an easy thing to do in the United States of America because the world is everywhere. I don't know about Kearney, but everywhere we've been in the U.S., in fact, when we first got to Miami, for the first few weeks, I said to Mike, I don't even feel like I'm in the United States yet.
0: Well, the the last time we were here in Kearney, we were taken to a restaurant.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: And so I asked the question to our server, and I had an idea of the part of the world they were from, and the person was from Nepal, Mm -hmm. here in Kearney. Right here So we had a whole conversation.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's probably a lot of people from all over the world at the university, so... Anyway, so we get, in the, we get in the taxi. We're on our way to the airport. My husband asked the question, where's your accent from? And the man told us, well, my name is Adam, and I'm from Lebanon. And um, now what I found out later is Mike just had a feeling that that wasn't the case. Um, we happen to know people from lots of places in the world. And we're not perfect at this, but we can sometimes tell by their accent a little bit about where they might be from. And so anyway, we're driving along, and uh, we just start asking him about his life. I said, so how long have you been driving a taxi? You know, um, do you have a family? We knew by the end of our trip that he was married, had a small child, a daughter, that this was his business, and on and on. And we're just entering his world. That's what we did. We didn't tell him about us. We entered his world. So we're about halfway to the airport, and he says, uh, he says, there's really something different about you guys. And Mike said, well, you know, we love culture. We love people from other countries. We are missionaries. That's when we decided to tell him what we did. And then he said, well, I have a confession to make. Who knew what was going to come out of his mouth? But he said, I have a confession to make. And we go, okay. He says, my name is not Adam, and I'm not from Lebanon. And we go, Okay. And I honestly don't even remember what his real name was, but he said his real name, and he said, I'm from Syria, which we know more than one Syrian in Trinidad and have very good friends that are Syrians and have done lots, have had lots of conversations with them. And he said, but, he said, and I'm a Muslim. And so when I tell people I'm from Syria and I'm a Muslim, sometimes it makes them uncomfortable. And I'm not always able to tell people who I really am and where I'm really from. And so we, we appreciated the fact that he was willing to tell us who he really was and where he was really from. And we just had a wonderful time of conversation for 30 minutes on the way to the airport. We're about 10 minutes away, and I said, would you, would you mind if I prayed a blessing over you? I want you to understand something. Most people from almost every religion will let you pray for them. Okay? Okay. I'm not talking about talking religion with them and debating with them about their beliefs, but most people will let you pray with them. So anyway, I prayed blessing. I mean, we kind of got to know him, you know, this ride. I prayed blessing over his business, over his child, over his wife. Uh, You know, everything I could think of, prayed blessing over this man. And, uh, And I said, in Jesus' name. And that's the only time I said the name of Jesus. We pull up to the airport... And Mike says, how much do I owe you? And he said, you have blessed me so much in this ride to the airport. I am not going to charge you for this ride. Now.
0: Come on, somebody put your hands together. That's a good.
1: Okay. now we Christians in the United States of America sometimes think we haven't done our job if we don't seal the deal. You know, if we haven't like, if he hasn't knelt on the ground and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I'm going to tell you there is a Muslim man in New Jersey who has a good taste in his mouth of Christianity and what Christians represent. Maybe for the first time in his life. And I believe we planted a seed in his life. And I believe that the next time a Christian comes in contact with, who knows? We planted, someone else will water, sounds like scripture to me, and someone else will harvest that. And so we have to do our part. But our part isn't always to seal the deal. But it's entering a life and loving them where they're at and blessing them in the name of jesus
0: so the real issue is identifying where an open door is because if you identify those open doors there's open doors all over carney right now there is people all over carney that god has already been working on their hearts and our job is to partner with god to find out where those open doors are next slide So God is in charge, but you lead. This sounds a little strange. I I want to explain it as we go into Mark uh, again. Uh, We're going to start with verse 32. I want to back up and start at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So after they had gone out two by two, they're coming back saying, Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened. They're amazed. They didn't come back and say, oh, it's just like every other day. No. I can tell you this. Anytime I pray with somebody and they get healed, I get pumped up. Every time I pray with somebody and they have an answer to prayer, I'm saying, yay, God. There's something still jumps up inside of me. Every time somebody comes to the altar and gives their life to Jesus, something jumps up inside me. and That's what happened with them. They're just ordinary people like us. Like us. They were authorized. They were authorized. So verse 32, so they went... "'away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. "'But many who saw them leaving recognized them "'and ran on foot from all the towns "'and got there ahead of them. 34, when Jesus, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, "'he had compassion on them "'because they were like sheep without a shepherd. "'So he began teaching them many things. "'By this time, it was late in the day, "'so his disciples came to him and said, "'This is a remote place. "'It's already very late.' send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered and said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. That wasn't what they were expecting. You give them something to eat. They said to him that would take more than half years wages Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So Jesus had authorized them and they went out and they had incredible miracles. Now they're faced with another situation and the other gospels, because this parable, this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is in all four gospels. We find that all day long, there has been healing and miracles happening. So I want you to understand that although there has been a whole day of miracles and they just got back from a trip where they are praising God and the testimonies are amazing, when it comes to these people needing some food, they got nothing. When it comes to these people needing something to eat, they cannot correlate the miracles they saw all day long with the possibility that something could happen with food. They're thinking logically. Miracles never flow out of logical thinking. If you could figure it out, you wouldn't need God. That's right, that's why they call it supernatural. Mm -hmm. So logical thinking does not do it. And their logical thinking went a step further and said, where would we get the food? How, where would we get the money? It would cost a half year's wages. What are we going to do? But Jesus wanted them to lead. Jesus said, I'm in charge, but I want you to lead. You feed them. You feed them. They missed it. They weren't at a place that they could see it. I believe that one of the things Jesus wants to do is change our thinking. Because when it comes to us being involved in God using us, we have all kinds of issues and and reasons that it won't work. Sometimes it's because I can't speak like Pastor Jonathan. I can't tell stories. I'm not as funny. You know, I'm too old, I'm too young, I don't have enough education, I don't talk well, that's what Moses said. God didn't accept that argument from Moses. He won't accept it from you. I can't pray like those other people. I can't lead worship. We have all kinds of reasons. But what if I have to pray for healing? I've never prayed with somebody. What if they're not healed? Listen, we have all kinds of reasons. Those are in the logical side of our thinking. But Jesus wants you to lead. To take what you have right now and use it. Just use it. Take what you have and run with it. Go to the next slide. One of the things that shocked me in Trinidad was the day that a pastor that we had done a lot of work with in a Hindu area came to me and he says, we're gonna do an open air service by a Hindu home, and I want you to preach. i would never done this before. i would never preached to Hindus. i would never preached an open air service. And I'm trying to think, what do I say? Now, I know a little bit of the thought process of Hindus you know, they have 330 million gods. The tendency is to add Jesus instead of separating everything and following him alone. Uh, in fact, my daughter sitting in back, she could tell you everything about Hinduism. But I'm trying to figure out, what am I going to do? And the pastor says, no, I want you to lead this. I had... Uh, I came up with all the reasons why I shouldn't be the one to do that because what if I blow it? What if I don't have the right things? What if instead of drawing them toward God I'm pushing them away? What if, what if, what if? And he says, no, you're the one. I want you to lead this. That very first service, didn't know what I'm doing but I came up with three basic things that I felt that Hindus need to hear. The first is, they were all words of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down, and I'll give you rest. Because life is hard, and when life's hard, Jesus has come to me. Secondly, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said, there aren't many ways, because Hindus will say, You go this way, I'll go that way, and we'll all get there. And he says, there's one way. I'm the way. And the third thing I shared on that day was the fact that when everybody comes to the end of their life, people come to the end of their life and they're wondering, have I done enough good things to outweigh the bad things? And what's going to happen? There's always a wondering but Jesus said, especially to the man on the cross who was next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. The apostle Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. So Jesus came that we can have eternal life. And 13 Hindus accepted Jesus. It was amazing. So now, we have probably done 10, at least 10. I did, I, I, I've done a, a uh, Awake or a, a funeral for in a Hindu area. Only two Christians were there. Um, but I didn't know what I was doing. I just had to take what God had given me and just run with it. Next slide. So th- that was an open air. This is Popey. He's a driver. He's from this area. And one of the things Popey does is he finds areas where there's no Christians. That's what he really likes. Areas where there's no Christians. And he finds children and he asks the parents if he can bring them to Sunday school. And he gets permission. He brings Hindu children to Sunday school. Think that one over. Can I just rock your world for a minute? The church, this church, his church, decided one day we want to do satellite Sunday schools, but this one area there's no Christians at all. There's just some children over there coming. And so they said, let's go find a home that we can do Sunday school and VBS in. There's no Christians. There are no Christians in the neighborhood. They found a Hindu home that was willing for them to have Sunday school and VBS. Think that over. They're doing Sunday school and VBS, Hindu gods on the door. I'm thinking, this is amazing. (laughs) So Popey brings children, next slide. This is one of the children, Vedish, 10 years old when he came He accepted Jesus. His father caught him one day reading his Bible with a flashlight under his covers in his bed. And dad says, you know I'm Hindu. And if you're going to follow this Jesus, you've got to go all the way. He wanted to get baptized. And dad says, if you're going to get baptized, I have to be there. We baptized in the ocean. On the day we baptized him, his entire family was at the water's edge cheering him on. (laughs) (laughs) The story is not over. Dad says, Dad says, um, the church needs to come to my house because the Hindus won't go to church. He wanted the church to come to them. You come, bring the music, bring the preaching, testimonies, anything you want, just bring it, come. And I discovered he was really trying to say, I want to find out who this Jesus is that you're talking about, that my son is following. And for about a year, a little over a year, we started doing open air services. The interesting thing is the pastor asked me to to preach every one of those. (laughs) I'm thinking of all the people you could ask, you're authorized. Lead, take with what you have and just run with it. Go to the next slide. We took a team. This is a team from Council Bluffs. Th- they went over and uh, we took them over before we started the services and just prayed with the family. Next slide. This is Vedish's dad. A year ago, they had he wanted three services over a weekend, and the one service they had a hundred people, friends and relatives, show up. And Vedish's dad and the entire family accepted Jesus. And less than a year ago, he was baptized in the ocean. So now, dad wants a church started by his house. And so they're working on once a month coming in and having a service there, bringing people in. Eventually, there's going to be a church by a house that a year and a half, two years ago was totally Hindu. And it really started with me being willing to say yes when I didn't feel like I was equipped. The Lord says, you're authorized. Now just lead. Take with what you have and go. You feed them. You feed them. You don't have to call Pastor Jonathan for everything. You lead. You take it and run with it. You feed him. You feed him. You pray with him. You share with him. You encourage him. You give him a scripture. Let it flow. It's not you anyway. He's flowing through you. Let it flow. You feed him. Turn to your neighbor, and I want you to point at him. Turn and point. I want you to point at your neighbor. Come on. And I want you to say to them, you feed them. They didn't believe you. you got to try it again. Turn to them, point a finger, and say, you feed, you feed them. Take what you have and give it to the people that need it. God has already authorized you. Let it flow. Let it flow. Next slide. God is in charge. Follow his lead. So we begin with the matter that he's wanting us to do it. He wants us to feed him. You feed him. And now watch what he says. So they couldn't figure out what they were going to do. He says, how many loaves do you have? And he said, go see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Actually, what they did, one of the other gospels tells us they brought a boy. Well, he's got some fish. How are they? I've been around kids a lot. And They're out there looking to see if they have any food, and they find a boy with a lunch. He's the only one that packed a lunch. This boy brought a lunch, and Jesus is wanting to know who had the food, and so they're they're bringing this kid. Now, how is this kid coming with his lunch, and how is he giving his lunch up? That's my lunch. (laughs) Maybe it was just because it was Jesus, but... He took the kids' lunch. And the story says, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down so the disciples have the people sit down. There's 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and they sit in groups of 50s and 100s. Numbers are important to God. It's not just this big group. It's not just a big group. He knew how many, and they divided them into 50s and 100s. So they sat down in groups of 50s, or hundreds and 50s, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave, to them, gave them to his disciples and to distribute to the people. So not only did he tell them to have everyone get organized, but after he p- prayed, he gave the food to the disciples. So one of the real questions you have to look at with this is when did the miracle happen? I don't seem to have any indication that when he prayed and broke it, suddenly it just became hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fish and bread. But it seems to be that as the disciples were handing out the bread and the fish, it never ran out. It never ran out. See, if I was one of the disciples, I'd be saying, no, you don't take that big piece. We got a lot of people here, just a small piece. (laughs) You're a big guy, I know you want a big piece, but no, just a small piece watch what scripture says this is what scripture says so then he gave to the disciples to uh, distribute to the people he also divided the two fish among them they all ate and were satisfied can you say satisfied? satisfied I can tell you a small piece of bread would not satisfy almost no one in here a small piece of bread was satisfied they ate and they were satisfied that's a miracle Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a miracle. A miracle. Tell your neighbor they were, they were satisfied. There's something about what God does. He satisfies. And the number of men who had eaten were 5,000. Oh, I missed a verse. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Because... God blesses to overflowing. He doesn't just meet a need, but he exceeds. He blesses to overflowing. He's not the God of just enough. He's the God of more than enough. And I think this miracle was as much for the disciples as it was for everybody else. They needed the food, but these disciples found the bread. Do you realize it didn't matter? how much they found. If there was one loaf and one fish, they could have done it. If there was one loaf, they could have done it. It didn't matter. And do you realize in your life, it doesn't matter what you have. If you say to God, I've got nothing, he says, I still want to use you. We always come and see what we don't have, and God sees what you do have. And he looks at you and says, you have something to give. He says, I want to take what you have today and I wanna multiply it so that others are satisfied. That's pretty good. Psalm 23 tells us this, surely goodness and mercy will follow you, follow you all the days of your life. See, when your cup overflows, you're leaving a trail of blessing everywhere you go. I believe what God wants to do is to overflow your cup so much, so much, so much that it spills out onto everyone around you. Um, go to the next slide. I'm going to stop with this. This is a grocery store we shop at a lot. It's a Muslim-owned grocery store called Harris. We've probably been going there eight years now. I'm about the only white person that goes in there. I don't tell them what I do. And next slide, this is, his name is Loach, and he, next slide, there it is. He um, he runs the car park, he helps them park their cars because it's it's a difficult parking lot, it's on a hill and things. We never talked for s- six years, we wave at each other. And uh, one day he comes up to my window just like this, and i rolled the glass down and and he says i just got out of the hospital i have an abscess on my foot and they say i need antibiotics and i don't have any money and i said to him well if god heals your foot then you don't need antibiotics and he said i never thought of that <laughs> and real quickly he says my wife's a christian but i'm not i said that's okay <laughs> We can pray and God can heal your foot. Go to the next slide. So I prayed for him. About four or five days later, I'm in the store and he comes running up saying, I am healed, I'm healed, Jesus healed me and I'm praying every day. (laughs) I want you to know that when you follow God's lead, he overflows a blessing. And the story keeps going, because now he had us praying for his wife, and by the time we left, we stopped and saw him, and he said, "Even his wife's doing well. He didn't have anything he needed prayer for in December before we left. I want you to know, that's the way he works. He has authorized you. He has authorized you. Turn to somebody close to you and say, "You're authorized." You know, I only have about half of you participating right now. Some of you are already thinking about lunch. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're authorized. Turn to them and say, lead with what God's given you. And one more. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say to them, follow God's lead. I want you all to stand with me. If I were just to ask you who is interested in God using you to touch your community, you know, we'd be fortunate if we had maybe 25, 30% of you. But that's not the way God works. I am here to tell you that all of you are authorized to be his representative this week. And I want to pray for you a prayer of anointing over you. And I want to pray that God, his anointing will rest upon you everywhere you go. When you're getting gas, when you're in the grocery store, when you're getting your hair done, when you're getting supplies for your house because the weather's warming up and you got some projects, when you're picking up the kids, wherever you are, I want the presence of God to be on you. I want you to see the open doors that are everywhere. If you can, would you put your hands in front of you? Just like you're receiving a gift. In the name of Jesus right now, may the authority of the Lord rest upon those of us in this room. May we not walk in our own strength. May we not walk in our own power. But may we walk in your authority. Now, Lord, open our eyes to see what you see. Show us what you're doing the other 166 hours a week. Position us, Lord, to touch some lives. And Father, right now, now I pray you anoint our hands, you anoint our feet, and you anoint our lips. We just say right now, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Would you just say that? Come Holy Spirit anoint my hands say that anoint my hands anoint my feet anoint my lips let me see what you see in the name of Jesus I pray for transformation in this carny area in the name of Jesus I pray blessing to overflowing in people's lives I pray people who are in need will be satisfied And beyond. Father, I pray that this church will cause ripples of transformation and blessings will follow them everywhere they go. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, um, uh, sometimes people have a theology for